This is the Rotoscopers Podcast. Episode 4, Surf's Up. Smile on your brother. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 downloadable titles to choose from. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com backslash the Rotoscopers. Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I am your host, Morgan Burt. Allow me to introduce my lovely co-hosts. First up is Jessica Rabbit's live-action body double, Chelsea Robson, (laughs) and our other co-host, Mason Smith. By night, known as Duke Grayson, Private Eye. (laughs) (laughs) Have any interesting cases? Chicago, the time is now. Dame walks into my office, says she wants to hear the best animation podcast she's ever heard. I tell her to take a hike. Then I tell her I was just kidding, and she could come back in, and I'd show her the best podcast. <laughs> that was entirely, entirely ad-libbed, so I don't know if we want to... Okay, I, I don't know. Just, I love, no, no, we're, we're keeping that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> no, 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 what was it? We're going to get some interesting comments for this episode. I okay. <laughs> okay, well, hey, so it's episode four, guys. Welcome back. Can you believe it? We've had a couple hundred people listening to these things. I you know did what? not expect that. You know what? I was just thinking about that. We are doing what George Lucas took forever to do, get to four <laughs> episodes. Wow. <laughs> Slightly different. A bigger budget. But oh, well, you know. Hey, it's okay. Hey, thing I've realized, there are lots of people in the world with all sorts of interests, and they come out of their caves and holes, <laughs> or their countries, or their states. And they listen, just like I listen to their podcast. So. <laughs> we should. How wonderful. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, here's our news for the week. First thing is on Sunday, the 26th of February, was the Academy Awards. And the Oscar for Best Animated Feature went to... Rango! Yay! Big surprise there, and that's a sarcastic surprise. But really, there, there was no surprise <laughs> in my mind between that and the other ones. So that was really exciting. And then the Oscar for Best Animated Short, The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. So that was a big surprise. No sarcasm. That, like, for me, kind of was a surprise. I was expecting La Luna to win. Just right. because of everything that had been said and all the good press, but, and well, Mason's little review on it. But then again, I hadn't seen them. Yeah, I, I have never heard of this one, so. Did you Did you at least see clips of them? I didn't watch that part of the Oscars. I was making cinnamon rolls at the time. They didn't, and you didn't uh, they didn't really anything? show clips. Jeez. Oh, okay. Well, I saw them all full length last week. <laughs> well, I know, exactly. So, um, surprise the, for you? Yeah, it is. Well, I thought it was good. I, I seriously thought La Luna was going to win. Um, the Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. It's a short film. It was inspired by Hurricane Katrina. And I liked it. His message was the importance of books and how they can kind of be a comfort to us. They used some really fresh animation techniques that I liked. They blended live-action layouts with with CGI characters. Well, that's what I picked up, at least. And the blending of it was real seamless. It was really impressive. There was also a character that was a Humpty Dumpty book. And the way it would move was the book had little legs, but the pages would flip like a flip book, and that's how Humpty Dumpty's character in the book would move and look at the character and make gestures. 
So it was kind of like a literal flip book within a 3D animation. So it was pretty good there. I liked it. That's neat. Yeah, so I'd say they earned it. So this next piece of news is uh, about a movie that we've been talking about over a couple of episodes so far. Animation Magazine released an interview that they did with the director of The Lorax, Chris Renaud. And it, I read it. It was really informative. It sheds light on the movie's message. He talked about that, and he also talked about some of the technical challenges that the animation team underwent when they, when they were animating The Lorax. One thing that stood out to me the most is how they were building on Despicable Me. With Despicable Me, Renaud said that they were working on minimizing the impact of their production pipeline. After having the experiences that they had with Despicable Me, the animation team was able to expand and focus on creativity and improving their technical abilities uh, while animating this film. Some specific things that he mentioned were that uh, there's going to be some really big crowd scenes. The animators actually took the time to animate individually every character in the crowds in the movie. Wow. Right. So y'all remember the movie Avatar, right? Of course. Avatar made a big deal of using its stereoscopic 3D um, to guide the audience through environments, like the forest scenes and in, in the, the other environments of the movie. Renaud says that the animation team is going for the same effect, that the 3D will be used to guide the audience through the environments and not just use it as a gimmick. So I think that's cool, too. He also mentioned that we're going to see some advanced fur and grass effects and some water effects. Ooh. Yeah, he said that there's going to be characters interacting with water, and those are effects that didn't get much attention in Despicable Me, so they're going to build on the pipeline from that movie and we're going to see some new and improved stuff in this movie. Cool. It's exciting. I like to see a studio grow and evolve. Yeah, take you know. risks and, and show us something new. And you don't have to be the biggest guy out there to, you know, make a good movie mm-hmm. and to tell a good story. You know, they knew what they had for Despicable Me, and now they have a little bit more, so they're building on it, so that's pretty neat. Well, Despicable Me had a really great story, and so they could figure things out, lay the groundwork for other things as they were doing that one, mm-hmm. which is really cool. This article also talked a lot about how they were expanding the storyline because it is only a 60-page book, mm-hmm. and so they had to go in and make different changes and add things in there, and so it's cool that they're able to use their imaginations a little bit more. Yeah, I read that they're adding, well, this is kind of obvious, but they're adding kind of a love story or kind of a romantic right. plot point with um, yeah. Taylor Swift's character and what's the other guy? Zach Efron. Zach Efron. So, how soon you forget Zachy? Well, <laughs> I pretend that High School Musical doesn't exist. Wait, yeah. Oh man! Finally, but Chris Renaud had some extra remarks about the message of the Lorax. He said, "The Lorax goes far beyond spreading a pro-environmental message. It's also about taking responsibility for your actions." And so he's added, uh, you know, the theme of responsibility instead of totally this anti-industrialist pro-environmental message. I know that some people are speaking very politically about the message of this movie. Personally, as an animation student, if I was asked to be an animator for this film, I would take the job. <laughs> that's, all gonna, that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> okay, so last week there was a lot of news about Brave. They released a new poster, a new website, and a new trailer for the movie. Feast your eyes! <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, so the poster, it's on our website, so in the show notes there'll be a link to the poster. Um, I really like it. There's, It features my favorite color, which is teal, aqua, all shades in between. That's really the main color palette here. There's nothing else that stands out apart from the juxtaposition 
of Merida's hair, which is flaming red. It's bright. It's curly. It's vivacious. It's out of control. It's really cool. So it's amazing. I would this, love hair like that. No, I wouldn't. But I would love <laughs> to look at hair like that. <laughs> yeah, and like if you're really sitting, there's lots of things in this poster that you know. There's this trail of blue lights that are kind of circling around her, and then very in the in the top left corner, there's yeah one of the main antagonists, which is the bear, who plays a big part in this. I love it. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's totally a beautiful poster. And you're right, the color contrast makes us really kind of focus on, on Merida's hair and makes us think about what type of person she is, and it really makes us interested in the film, so yeah. For sure, I'm way excited about this film. Even just from the poster, you know, that caught my eye. I was like, wow, that looks really cool. I'd like to see that. Yeah, that's kind of different than last week. Like, last week, some of the posters were kind of like, meh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Uh, like the crudes, all of them just sort of blended into each other. It was like, which makes sense. It's a prehistoric film. It's it's grays. It's in the desert and and whatnot. But this is is very well well done. Yeah. So this new trailer that was released, or it's more like an extended clip from the movie. It gives us a lot more insight and understanding about Merida, her character, her family, where she comes from. So if you haven't seen this, go to the website. Go to the show notes. It's in there. We're gonna be talking about it. So what happens is the oldest males in the kingdom are shooting um, in an archery contest for Merida's hand in marriage. So they're all the biggest, like, goofs <laughs> ever. You know, anyway, so they're shooting for it. They're really bad. And then she goes and she decides she's going to shoot for her own hand. And she ends up clearly destroying the competition. Some of my favorite parts about this trailer was when Merida is sitting and talking with her dad as the each one of the different candidates for her hand go up to start shooting. They start, like, bantering back and forth and making fun of him. It was just really funny because it reminded me of every time Morgan and I go to any movie. We are always doing that. And it makes everybody else around us so mad. Yeah, you are not, you do not want to go to a movie No, you don't. <laughs> we talk a lot. And then we're always like, oh, remember this? This reminds me of that Disney movie. Oh, remember that? That reminds me of The Simpsons. Oh, remember that? That reminds me of this random film. It's great. It's amazing. So you're getting all of the best parts of our commentary right here. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a beautiful trailer. We've seen it time and time again. Pixar always sets the standard for everyone else when they release a new movie. And they've done it again with this trailer. It's absolutely beautiful. I love the the environment that's created. I love the characters that they present. You know, the guys that are shooting for Emerita's hand are so pathetic. <laughs> and then we're like, you know, she doesn't want anyone to win, and she doesn't really care. But then by some mistake, this one kid makes a perfect bullseye. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, what is she going to do now? Which sets us up to see how awesome she is at archery. You know, busting the other person's arrow with her arrow. That's, you know, I thought about Robin Hood when I saw it. Oh, for sure. But it's so beautiful in 3D. they got the, the slow motion camera. And then some really good particle effects that really make it look like one arrow is splitting the other. And it just goes to show you how far 3D animation has gone you know, over, over the past 10 years. And I was so impressed. I'm so looking forward to this movie. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Yes. Here's one thing. What do the following actors all have in common? Ryan Reynolds, Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. Michael Pena, Luis Guzman, Bill Hader, Richard Jenkins, Ken Joong, Michelle Rodriguez, Maya Rudolph, Ben Schwartz, Kurtwood Smith, Snoop Dogg, and Samuel L. Jackson all have in common. <laughs> I don't know what they have in common. They've all been cast in the 2013 movie Turbo by DreamWorks. 
Oh, wow. Wow, that is a star-studded cast. <laughs> it's a lot of people. <laughs> so the synopsis for this, what happens is there is this little snail. What's his name? Turbo. Oh, his name's Turbo? Cute. I oh. had a dog named Turbo. <laughs> he was small and had a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy. So here's the synopsis. There's this little snail, and he loves the Indianapolis 500. He loves NASCAR, and maybe they don't use the term NASCAR in the movie, but he loves racing. And his goal one day is to be a part of these races and to race in it. Because actually, even though he's a snail, he's actually a really fast snail. Unlike everyone else in the snail community who's really laid back and slow. Huh, figure that. It seems like kind of an interesting idea. I really like these movies where, you know, the underdog concept, achieving your dreams, going after them. So I don't even know what to think about this movie at first, but it seems really exciting. It's definitely something to look forward to. Alright, so every episode we have Mason, our in-house animator, or animator-to-be, introduce us to elements of film, the 12 principles of animation, and so on and so forth. Last week we did timing, and the week before that we focused on story. So, Mason, what do you have in store for us today? Well, I was thinking about Earth's Up as a, such a unique film. It's the film that we're focusing on for this episode, and it's an animated film that's filmed documentary-style. And so for this episode, I sat down with Jacob Johnson, a friend of mine who is a film student at BYU. We sat down and we talked about the importance of documentary filmmaking. We talked about its significance in today's world, and hopefully it'll help enhance our listeners' um, experience with Surf's Up as an animated film that's been filmed documentary style. Let's hear it. All right, so I'm here with, with Jacob Johnson. All right, well, thanks so much for interviewing. It's a real pleasure to be sitting down with you. Um, for our listeners, hopefully we can, we can help our listeners appreciate a little more what documentary filmmaking is. And I'm just glad we have this time together. And Jacob, how did you become interested in documentary filmmaking? Um, I've always had kind of an interest in, in people, you know, and learning about people uh, and in whatever walks of life they might be in, you know, if that's here in the U.S. or foreign. And documentary film is a good way for people to connect with uh, stories and just people that you might otherwise not really get to know. Great. That is true. I've noticed that, like, I think we've all noticed that there's a greater need for people to be connected in today's world. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you think that relates to the rise of, of reality TV and, and documentary, fi- documentary films? I mean, la- uh, in the 21st century, we've had, you know, your more blockbuster documentaries uh, like March of the Penguins, Inconvenient Truth. Um, but it seems to me that there's been more of a peak of interest for documentary film, especially reality, uh, reality cinema like in, in the TV shows we watch. Right. Yeah, so I feel like people... I feel like that sort of has two types, two answers to that question. And um, as far as reality TV goes, I feel like there's um, there's kind of always been an interest in in like entertaining stories and from people's lives and stuff like that. And reality TV is just a way. Well, on the one hand, you have like stuff that's like gossip oriented, like Big Brother or or The Bachelor. You know, all those yeah. sorts of like kind of chatty sort of shows. 
and then you have the other ones like Survivor or you just see real people doing kind of extraordinary things. So that's I think that's really appealing to our current audience in the 21st century. I doubt it would have come about earlier than now just because I think we're really kind of looking for realism as opposed to previous generations that may have been more hungry for um, more melodrama and stuff like that. Um, as far as documentary film goes, I feel like there's a major social awareness that has been that has come about, you know, with like the green movement and, and things like that. Right. And documentary film generally has a pretty social ag- uh, agenda to it. You know, it's usually out there to expose some sort of issue that's going on in society, like dimension and convenient truth. You know, that's definitely has its has its message that it wants to get across. And documentary film often wants to expose those sorts of things. And I think that that fits just with our culture today that's more or less trying to be socially conscious, I think. So. Definitely. And, yeah, I can see the social aspect. Now, you mentioned, um, you mentioned reality. And for me, one of the neat things about documentary film is that you're trying to find you're immersed or you're introduced to a place or a, a people's or like a situation that's real but it's foreign to us. Right. And so what what are the advantages of using specifically documentary film to present like those new worlds to viewers? Well, um, so with the documentary film, you're the filmmaker generally is there with the real people who are actually living that sort of lifestyle, whatever it might be, whether it's a politician or um, an Eskimo or whatever, you know. Um, And, I mean, the term documentary, it it gets a little hard to define because, you know, some documentarians are kind of active in their filming of the events and others step back and don't and just let the camera watch. Right. So I think the the uh, the biggest benefit to using documentary film is that it's whether the filmmaker is active or just watching, it allows the viewer to see a real person. And not that actors aren't real people, but it allow but they're not deliberately trying to fulfill a role. Yeah. Not consciously anyway. So it is definitely a. a a closer connection it's potentially a closer connection to people in their natural settings like a politician for example um, so and then in like just your general sense that's a little further away from the complexities of what documentary film actually is it just allows you to see a, a real life depiction of a culture of an event of any sort of thing that's that otherwise you wouldn't be able to see, it allows you a doorway into a world that you typically don't have access to. You know, I mean, college students typically don't have access to the uh, deforestation of the Amazon or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But with a documentary film, we can see a documentary filmmaker's interpretation of real-life events. Yeah, totally. Yeah, thanks for that. Now, let's talk about cameras for a second. In the documentary film. I've seen you on campus with the camera, so you have experience in this. Yeah, a little bit. And this is kind of a... We've all heard the phrase, like, the camera doesn't lie. 
and it's actually in the commentary for this movie Surf's Up that we're reviewing for this episode, they said in their commentary, they mentioned that also. The camera doesn't lie. And that was a big part of how they filmed Surf's Up. So how does that apply to documentary film? Well, to be honest, I I, I can't really say that I agree with with the phrase the camera doesn't lie. Because it's... It's all in how you put it together. I mean, for example, if you videoed this conversation that we have, if you spliced it together in a particular way, and if you made it seamless enough to where people didn't notice gaps in time or anything, you could manipulate what I say to communicate something that's totally different than what I originally intended. Yeah. And with documentary film, it's the same thing. Yes, you're filming real people, real events, and things like that, but... You can use the footage that you have to communicate ideas that are your own, your own interpretation of those ideas. So the difference between uh, your typical fiction Hollywood commercial film and a documentary film is that the documentary is presented as closer to reality, usually, um, whereas your fiction film is clearly stated as fiction. You know, it's meant to represent reality as opposed to being some sort of reality. So with Surf's Up, it's interesting because, you know, it's an animated film. So the camera, I mean, it's all it's all been um, what's the word? It's all been manipulated, manipulated and prepared. It's all been prepared. It's all been manipulated. But it still has that same look, that same documentary look or or like The Office. The Office has that same sort of feel you know it has a documentary feel but we all well you all know and we accept that it's all fiction and it's actually when you get into the heart of of documentary filmmaking it gets kind of complicated as to what really is real um and what is like a true representation of the of the filmed event of the event that you're filming so wow um, yeah great insights there now you mentioned that there is kind of a manipulativeness, there's a preparedness that goes into documentary filmmaking. Based on your experience, how much detail goes into filming a documentary? Uh, a lot. I shot a documentary about um, about underground gold mining a couple of years ago. Wow. And, yeah, we went down there and we had... We basically had to figure out the story that we wanted to tell. So in, as opposed to just going down there and shooting whatever we wanted, uh-huh. we, we decided that... We were going to focus on one person and see what story he was going to tell us. And the questions we would ask would lead him to tell us to certain responses that we would hope he would give. So depending on the style of documentary, a lot of planning goes into it. A lot of thought about the kind of questions you're going to ask, the kind of footage you're going to get, what you want in the end. There are other styles of documentary that really do just step back and just observe. Observational documentary is a lot different because it just the camera you just hit record and you just let whatever is in front of you play right but even then there's still planning because when you get back to the editing room you're not just going to play the entire footage for the audience you choose what you want to show and so no matter what there is always choice and there's always bias that's going to come through um opinion more not bias in the term of opinion okay so all right that's interesting now um now, for our listeners out, out there who maybe haven't immersed themselves into uh, documentary film, what are some documentaries that that you, as a you know, as a film student, what are some of your favorite documentaries that that you've seen that you would recommend to our listeners? 
One of my favorite, I, I guess I've got three that I can give to you. One is called Man on Wire, which is about the guy who walked a tightrope across the trade... Uh, between the World, the World Trade Center. Yeah, between the World Trade Center. Yeah. That is an excellent example of, of how a documentary can be made incredibly entertaining and nearly as gripping as like a, a fiction heist movie. You know, it was really, the way they put that one together, the pacing is just really fantastic as far as um, entertainment value goes. And it's also very enlightening about this man's life, so it kind of has the best of both worlds. Yeah, I remember that one. I saw that my senior year in high school. It was oh, really yeah. good. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good one. Another one that I like is a French one. I have a particular attachment to France. Sure. Um, I've spent a lot of time there. It's uh, Chronicle of a Summer, which is uh, Jean Rouge and Edgar Morin, who, um, they went around Paris and they asked people if they were happy, just sort of saw what their reactions were. And so that's a, um it's very interesting, you know, to look at that time period to see what kind of social issues were going on at that time. What time period was it filmed in? Uh, 1960. 1960, okay. Yeah, so it's interesting. The Cinema Verité movement. Uh, and then the last one is a, a recent uh, documentary project that fuses animation with people's stories, um, and that's called the Story Core. It's... It's online. It's just these they uh, they get people. I think it's mostly based in New York, but they might go around elsewhere. They have people tell stories about interesting things from their lives. Like there's one about a, a man who um, a, a war veteran and some of the experiences in war. Another about a firefighter in the World Trade Center and his sons. Wow. And what they do is pretty interesting. They animate them to, with like kind of pretty cartoonish style animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the person telling the story, and then on top of that, you have a little animated segment. Oh wow! And so it's it's pretty it's pretty nifty, and it's it's pretty cool to hear these people's stories. Yeah, totally. Storycore.org, I think. Storycore.org. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for the recommendations. Just a couple more questions. Now, you, had, you hadn't really heard of Surf's Up before this interview. I kind of mentioned it, and you were like, you know, you, you hadn't heard about it. What was your first reaction when I told you about this animated film that was shot in the style of a documentary? Um, well, I've seen plenty of mockumentaries before, you know, like um, Best in Show or Woody Allen's Zelig, which is a favorite of mine. But um, I never thought of using it in the animation field. I think that that's particularly interesting, just sort of what we were talking about before, because it's kind of ironic, the idea of using documentary, which is supposed to be real, Mm -hmm. but in that sort of totally contrived space of animation, which is 100%, you know, I mean, the there's somebody there animating each of the, each frame. So I think that that's pretty clever, um, and I definitely would like to see it now, just to see what how they go about doing that making you know playing with the idea of reality and what it is and how you depict it especially in an animated movie so it's interesting yeah thanks for your insights so Jacob final question what film projects are you involved in now okay so I'm uh I've actually got a lot on my plate right now um I'm doing I'm working as a first assistant director on a BYU capstone I'm also writing a script that I'm hoping we'll be able to shoot next fall. Okay. Um, and right now I'm finishing up a documentary project that I shot in France that's sort of a hybrid of, of that film I told you about, Chronicle of the Summer, and StoryCorps, and a bunch of other different things. Uh-huh. Um, 
And that's about, we went over there and we asked people to talk about happiness, sort of like Chronicle of a, of a Summer. Right. And um, we're going to be incorporating animation and photography and live action into the stories that we hear there. So that's a pretty interesting one that I'm, we're starting to get some cuts of that ready. The BYU final cut will, will hopefully be showing one of those. So um, uh, that's... It's a pretty big project now. Hopefully, people will like it. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for your time. It's been real great. I've learned a lot in this interview. I hope our listeners learn a lot. And yeah, best of luck to you and all your projects. And uh, I'm sure our listeners would love if you if we could post like the URL for your yeah your film's website yeah when it's um, available. You know, for sure. Hopefully, the URL will be uh, available in the next couple weeks. So we'll get it up for you. All right. Great. This week for our main discussion, we're talking about the Sony animation film, Surf's Up. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. This is definitely a different venture in animation. It was released June 8th, 2007, and it's a documentary. Personally, I don't think there have been any other animated films that have done this. Yeah, I don't think so. I've never seen one. It's based on, you know, it kind of... They decided they wanted to do this documentary animated film, and the film is actually based on the surf documentaries like The Endless Summer. A lot of surfers, you know, they end up making documentary movies about surfing that's very prevalent in the surfing genre of of films. So it kind of made sense for the directors. They wanted to make a surfing movie, and they also wanted to make a documentary. Hey, and they already do that for real surfing movies. So it, it was kind of like a match made in heaven. I'll say. About once every year, my, my dad makes us all watch The Endless Summer. <laughs> he used to surf in, in California, and it's an awesome film. I always love watching it, you know, when we put it on. And this movie is a lot like it. And this is going along with Brad Bird. Like, we talked about story a couple of episodes ago. Uh, we talked about his quote that animation is a medium and not a genre. And so it's, we feel it's the same way with this animated film, Surf's Up. So the synopsis for this movie, essentially it's about this penguin. His name is Cody Maverick. He lives in Antarctica, and his dream is to essentially be pro surfer and to surf some of the great waves. Um, but at the very beginning of the movie, he's really focused on winning and going to these tournaments. And, you know, he gets picked up by a scout. He gets sent to this big competition. We learn early on in the film that he had an encounter with the legend, the Big Z, who is a you know, a surf god, and who suddenly disappeared on one of his last waves. So there's kind of this what happened to Z element in the film as he goes to this tournament and, and loses and then, you know, has goes on the journey from there. I, I liked it. Unfortunately, this came on the heels of other Penguin movies. This was yeah, you're right. like eight or a few months after Happy Feet. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that people didn't know this one was out or people were kind of done with Penguins. We just saw an animated Penguin film. I don't need to see this one again. Yeah, good point. Okay, why Penguins? Why are there so many animated films about Penguins? I mean, we had March of the Penguins. <laughs> we had, like, Happy Feet. Now, um, now, well, March of the Penguins was Penguins playing Penguins. Yeah, yeah, we got. Yeah, it. but still, there's. I mean, we also have like Pebble and the Penguin, <laughs> uh, Madagascar. Right. There are yes. penguins. There are oh, those, so there many are penguins about in that penguins. One. I don't. Why are they so so likable? <laughs> Let alone during this time period, you know. Sure. You know, Happy Feet and March of the Penguins all came out, and the directors when they first said they're like, 
we had no idea about those other two movies. This was in 2002. They weren't even on our radar, you know. <laughs> By that point, they're so far down the pipeline when they do find out about it. You mean, you you can't change your main model. You've already spent two years designing them. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of just went with it, and theirs was completely different than, obviously, both of those movies or mm-hmm. Pebble and the Penguin <laughs> 10 years prior. <laughs> it was it's, the start. Well, right. Yeah, well, I like Cody's intro at the beginning when they're first, you know, interviewing him. When they're like, yeah, I'm Cody Maverick, I'm 17 years of age, and I surf. Um, do you have any other talents? What, like singing and dancing? And he starts laughing. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. obviously a jab at Happy Feet, and I love it. I am such a huge fan of this movie, so I'm not going to admit defeat in in any shape or form for this movie. <laughs> yeah, I liked this movie a whole lot better than Happy Feet, too. I agree. The storyline was just so clever. To be honest, when I first watched this, I was really weirded out, and I was thinking, what? is this? Like, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. (laughs) Like, is this real or not? I don't know. But after a while, it just hooked you in. Yeah, definitely. Now, were you all familiar with the names of the directors before you checked them out? Ash Brannon and Chris Buck? I wasn't, no. No. Yeah, I I hadn't heard of them before. Both of them were animators when they started out. Ash Brannon, he worked on a few Pixar films. Uh, He also, when he went into directing, he co-directed Toy Story 2. Nice. Pretty cool. Yeah, Chris Buck was an animator for several Disney animated films. Uh, he directed Tarzan, which is pretty significant. Yes, Very it is. significant. I love Tarzan. So they both start out as, out as animators, so that's pretty cool. I think Chris Buck started out as kind of like an apprentice animator. That's what his IMDb page says. And now they're directing. So, hey, who knows, you know, if, you know, when I turn out to be an animator, I could go on to the directing eventually. Wow, and don't let you your know, head get too big. I know, I won't, I, won't, I won't count my chickens before they hatch, but hey, I you, mean, know, you know how your, everyone your says sack, that. Your flower sack is good, but I don't know about that. <laughs> Hey, I was the director for that short film. Well, you've already achieved your goal. There you go. You know, you hear everyone say, you know, I like this, but what I really want to do is direct, so, you know. Don't we all? I don't even make movies I want to direct. (laughs) Exactly. Well, remember the little people when you get there, all right? One of my top 100 dreams is to actually be the voice of an animated character. I really don't care how big that role is. I just want to see myself in animated form, okay? (laughs) Well, Mason's already told me a few months ago that I have a great face for animation, and I gave him permission to use my likeness in a future film, so maybe you can voice my character. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But really confusing for most people. Who know us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be confusing for y'all, but... (laughs) That's about it. <laughs> well, here's some information on Chris Buck. He, who's actually a CalArts grad. Um, a lot of the animation greats came from CalArts. Uh, his first movie was, as an apprentice animator, was Fox and the Hound, which, instantly enough, was the one that Don Bluth walked out on. Ooh. Oh. Interesting. I've seen this film a dozen times because it's like a family favorite at our house. Uh, we love it. But I had never listened to it with the commentary on until uh, about a week ago. The commentators were the directors, Brandon and Chris Buck, and there was also one of the producers there. They had a lot of great insights. They made a big point of focusing on giving the film a documentary look. And I think that's, you know, besides the visuals, you know, besides the voice actors, I think the documentary format of this film is what makes it so unique. For sure. Now, the commentators were pretty direct about this. They said that they considered Surf's Up to be a mockumentary from the beginning, but after they had some people review it, one of the reviewers commented that it's not a mockumentary, that it's actually, you know, it's more like a documentary, and that it doesn't reveal who the documenters are, and that there's no, you know, so-called wink at the audience. We don't bring the audience in and be like, hey, we're just kidding about all this, you know, this is, this is a comedy. 
Now, Jacob, in my interview with him, he, he had some insights about mockumentaries and documentaries. And so our listeners, whoever sees this film, you'll have to make up your mind whether this is a mockumentary or if it's more a documentary. Yeah, another way um, when they were talking about when they were making this movie and bringing it into development is that reality TV around 2002 to 2003, um, this is when they first started the beginning forms of this story. So reality TV was getting to be huge. And so they kind of wanted to play on that popularity of reality TV. And it ended up turning into this documentary style. Personally, I appreciate this new take on animation. Like I said before, I don't think there really had been much done. I, I can't think of a documentary animated film ever. And I know we're going to get emails saying, oh, no, 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 there's this one, but whatever. For me, this is the standout documentary film. (laughs) And it really is fresh. It's exciting. It's new. It makes me want to see it because everyone thinks every idea has been done. Well, clearly, this kind of proves that it it hadn't. And they, they went with it, and it worked. Yeah, definitely. And like Chelsea said, it's really different and unique at first. But the more you watch it, the more you get into these characters, you're you're pretty much hooked on this movie. I know I was. I love the documentary style of this film because it's a way to focus on the characters. Like we were talking about in in other episodes about story, it's all about the characters. And getting that camera in the face of the characters, seeing their reactions, seeing their emotions, it focuses on them. And just like documentary style shows that are popular today, the focus of Parks and Rec is not on... Pawnee City Hall. I mean, it's the most boring thing on earth. But the characters are so eccentric and so lively that it makes the show more interesting. Yeah, I like this quote that the the director, Ash Brannon, said. It says, the thing that really got him excited about the idea of a movie animated documentary, he says, character animation is all about creating the illusion of life, which is true. We've talked about the great illusion of life book, uh, which is all about character animation. And he finishes, he says, and the illusion that these characters are thinking, breathing, feeling. The idea of putting a microphone up to the character and he or she could talk about what they are feeling made it even more real. So you're using the art form to express what these people are thinking and feeling, or in this case, penguins, and then shoving a microphone in their face so they can give you their inner thoughts at that moment or how they are feeling. It's, it's cool. Yeah, some of the different things that they used in this movie were like simulated handheld camera. You know, they had a lot of long camera shots and the overall low shot count for the movie, which was about 800, which is pretty low. They also put in like film grain, even in the scenes that aren't flashbacks. I love in the very beginning, the one of the first scenes when they do the flashback of, you know, the one of the first waves that went through. And it was like, that is so cool how they just brought it really to life. You know, and the dialogue was my favorite part. Like I said, the first time I watched it, I was totally weirded out because I was thinking, is this real or not? (laughs) Like, I don't... I've never seen such a natural vibe between different characters where they're just coming off the cuff with a whole bunch of things. And there was a lot of improv with this. Almost all of the voice actors recorded in the same room together. That's very rare. They don't ever do that. It doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen. And then Zoe Deschanel, I love that. She actually invented the character Arnold while she was ad-libbing her lines, which was so great. Arnold's so funny. <gasps> yeah, Ar- Arnold? Arnold's that little, yeah, he's that little kid who's always drowning. Yeah. Yeah, the commentators uh, are saying, Arnold! I know, right? Help me, I'm drowning. Oh, Lonnie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Arnold is, like, one of the director's sons. I can't remember. I can't mix up with which kid is, is who. But, yeah, she was ad-libbing. You know, that interview, the first interview she has, and, yeah, and she goes off and says Arnold, you know, of course, he's just kind of pretending, or, I don't know, he's crazy, or 
I don't know what he's I don't know what he's doing. The only reason but, I care is because this is the third time that you've blacked out in a week. I just think <laughs> it's bad for your brain. I know. <laughs> oh, I love it. <sighs> but you're right. I mean, it's so alive because the director, you know, the filmmakers made it a point of having them record in the same room together. So, yeah, great point there. I think those little penguins just randomly interspersed throughout. They do random interviews for them. One of the yeah. little penguins, he's like... Like, a winner is someone who doesn't knock me off my surfboard. <laughs> Tank's definitely not a winner. Like, sad! <laughs> he's, he's a dirty trash can full of poop. <laughs> that was actually ad-libbed by that little kid. Oh, oh that's those reels you get right there. Surf Stuff also has, and I think by necessity, it has dramatic elements as well as far as more of a traditional film style um, to show some of the more dramatic parts of the film. But I think it's blended perfectly enough to get the viewer interested, not only do you have the documentary, but there's some drama and there's some action involved as well, and they fall back to traditional film style for that. Sweet. So what I think makes this movie so memorable and classic is that, it, to me, Surf's Up is classic, and it's classy. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> for sure. This movie is super authentic to the world of surfing, in my opinion. Now, my like I said, my dad, he surfed a lot when he was a kid in California. He still knows how to skateboard. And he still knows how to surf. I mean, he taught me the basics of surfing. And also, I have an uncle who surfs all the time in Mexico. And they can both attest to the fact that this movie, the the filmmakers tried really hard to make this authentic to the world of surfing. So this movie could have really easily been, like, over-imaginative, super cheesy with the surfing. But instead, the filmmakers tried to stay true to surfing lingo, uh, physics, for the most part, <laughs> um, <laughs> surfing techniques like tubing and purling your board and experiences that surfing fans can relate to, like wiping out or being in the tube. Oh, wipe out. <laughs> Here in comes a big set. <laughs> I love it. One thing that I remember from the commentary, they said surfing is a metaphor. They were talking about these guys, the Malloy brothers, um, who are big surfers. The Malloy brothers said, a lot of surf movies don't get it right. It's not about riding the waves. It's really about life and how you live it. And that's true. We learned that it's really cool as as Cody. For him, it's all about riding the big wave, getting the big points. And then as it transitions, he becomes a true surfer in a sense. You know, it's more about just living life and enjoying the waves and his friends. And so I think that's really cool that they got the message of the sport. Most of the film revolves around two experiences that surfers have, you know, wiping out, you know, when they can't take the wave and getting tubed, which is like this ultimate experience in surfing. And uh, during the commentary, the director said that the wiping out sequence when Cody, you know, his first big wave, he's like, you're going to watch it again and again. And he <laughs> wiped out like four times. It goes from and the commentators are saying, you know, there's the rule of three with comedy, and they didn't know if they should have pushed it with showing the replay four times, <laughs> but they did it. And the last time they did it with this kind of funnier camera angle, and I, it really worked for me. Like, I think that scene is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It, it very much reminds me of the, the rake scene with Sideshow Bob yes. and the Simpsons. Yes. They break the rule of threes. They push it four. I don't know how many times. They that, like 20 times. Yeah, that break hits his face. But every time it gets funnier and funnier and funnier. Uh, that's, uh, 
No, seriously. Yeah, totally. Now, with that scene, it goes from funny to, like, real serious because Cody finds himself under these massive waves, and he, like, can't get back up. And when he gets back up, he gets pushed back under. And then he bumps his foot against a rock, you know, and he can't breathe. Now, for that experience, they actually went to some actual an actual surfer who described that experience. And I asked Dad when I was watching the film, I was like, hey, is that, like, what it's really like? And he's like, yeah, it's like that. Like, you go up to the surface, and then the wave will be right there, and you, like, don't know which way is up. You don't know where your air is. Also, the the montage of the surfers getting tubed and riding the tube of the wave, there's some voiceovers of some surfers. Those are actual surfers that they went down to the beach and interviewed for the experience of getting tubed. Oh, yeah, you could totally tell that they were actual surfers, too. You could just feel it in just the way that they spoke about Getting tubed was just <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> but I thought that was an amazing touch. I was like, nice, classy. <laughs> yeah. Here's another little detail. Um, Kelly Slater and Rob Machado, they were two surfers that uh, they had a lot to do with the with the film. Uh, the directors actually took surfing lessons from them, uh, they were uh, saying in their commentary. And so, you know, that just goes to show you that these directors were really serious about making this an authentic surfing movie. That's awesome. Yeah, those two, they were actually consultants. From what I read, they actually contributed a lot to the movie and experiences from about surfing. And, you know, they would even show them scenes of animating the waves in the water and be like, mm, no, you need to push it a bit more to, you know, this way. You need to break it more over here. So it was really cool because they this is their life. Kind of like Big Z, we learn about him. He knows the waves. He knows where it's going to break. He knows where it's going to land. And so they went to the best, essentially. So that way their movie could look even more real. Yeah, totally. And besides being consultants for the film, Kelly Slater and Rob Machado, the professional surfers, they play themselves and they kind of have their likeness on the movie. So they actually play characters as well. So that's pretty cool. And the second point for me, this is such a classic and classy movie because it's got this really chill like vibe, really chill attitude. It doesn't try too hard to like shove a message in your face. The message as you know, there are some messages and themes in this film and they are pretty serious, but the directors, they said in their commentary, they didn't want to be too preachy about it. For example, at the end where Cody, chicken Joe and tank Evans are in the final round of the competition, there was originally a scene where Cody and chicken Joe, they talk together and chicken Joe has this kind of monologue on the meaning of life at the end of the film. The directors decide to cut it because they didn't want to be too preachy in the film. But we realize, you know, we realize what Chicken Joe's message on life is just from observing him and listening to him. We don't have to have the message shoved in our face, you know? Yeah, the one line, Chicken Joe, you won. I won? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, right. it totally is his attitude on surfing and how, what it means to him. He wasn't there to, to win and go, you know, go big. Yeah, I love it. Who would have okay. thought that Chicken Joe would have all the answers <laughs> to life's questions here? He's great. There's also the father and son relationship. And Cody doesn't, like, explicitly... Like, it's funny when they when they talk about Cody's father having been killed. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. Like, I know this is cruel, but I always bust out laughing when, I, when she's like, he never really knew his father. <laughs> it, it goes to Cody's dad, and it zooms out. And it's a pig killer. Oh, yeah. to eat him. <laughs> and then uh, Chicken Joe's dad is now a, a six-piece <laughs> you know, fried chicken combo. <laughs> oh, man, I freaking love it. Hey, if you look at the graphic of Chicken Joe's father, there's a UFO in the background, in the sky. There's also UFOs throughout the film, so. Oh, very nice. But then at the end, when he's at his lowest point, it's like him and Big Z kind of have a fight. And he's like, no, it's, it's hard enough losing one father. And then the documentary film crew's like, hey, what do you mean? He's like, nah, nothing, bro. So Big Z fills in for the father role, 
And uh, I like that. I like a father-son relationship in a movie. I think it's really cool. Yeah. No, I see that, too. Okay, random trivia time. Ding, ding, ding. Let's hear it. All right, the scene of Cody chasing the whale at the beginning when he's trying to get up on board to join the other surfers, it was actually inspired by an actual surfing experience. It's inspired by surfers riding the wakes of oil tankers in the Gulf of Mexico. There's actually YouTube videos of uh, surfers doing that. It's pretty interesting. That's awesome. Is that trivia, or is that just random fact? That is random trivia fact. Okay, I got, I got a trivia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, try to guess this one. So the scene where Cody's like healed of his fire urchin poison, and Big Z like burps in his face, and he goes back to goes like passes out again. <laughs> the trivia is it wasn't really Jeff Bridges who burps then. It was another voice actor. Can you all guess who it was? No, I know. Who was it, Morgan? Oh, what's his name? John Heater. <laughs> <laughs> right, John Heater. John Heater, who voiced Chicken Joe, actually supplied that monstrous burp. <laughs> awesome. I've always been a goal in life to burp on command, but then again, I don't actually want to have to learn how. Right. Or- that burp in the film sounded like it took a lot of preparation, so I don't know if it was that spontaneous. The world will never know. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about the characters and the voices of all these people. So who do we got for the voice actors for well, we've got Cody Maverick, which is our main character, and that was Shia LaBeouf. And he basically plays himself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's nothing different about him. No, really not. But that was one thing that I liked about it, because it added even more to the realness of the movie. Yeah, it wasn't... These voices aren't overly cartoonized, and, mm-hmm. you know, really high pitches, really low pitches. It's just normal people right. just happen to be a penguin. Right. That's a good point. A lot of the actors are just pretty much playing themselves, you know, which is okay for a film that has so much improv and kind of casual lines, you know what I mean? For sure. We got Jeff Bridges playing Big Z, who's my person. I think he's my favorite character in this whole film. Okay, I love it towards the kind of the second act of the film when Cody is learning how to make that co wood board and Big Z's teaching him. Dude, I love it so much. Like, there's a lot of improv and ad-libbing. I just love the interaction between Big Z and Cody. Because Cody's impatient. He wants to make the board already. And Big Z is like, okay, make the board how you want it. Just don't screw up. You're doing it, you're doing it wrong. Don't, don't mess it up. He's like, there's no finesse when you're in my face, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. All right? I'm done. <laughs> I love it. And it still tur- turns out horrible. But I like it I like it because it's good, kind of a good father and son moment. We always quote the part where he's like, long, smooth. It's like the wave. You can't fight it. You can't fight these big waves, Code. <laughs> I love it. I love that guy. He's got this, like, 80s vibe to his voice. You know? <laughs> do, y'all remember, do y'all remember Tron, you know? In some points, he's, like, really serious, like, the grid, you know? And then he's just like, yeah, man, we'll go to the arcade, man. It's cool. Or you're like, you're messing up with my Zen thing, man. <laughs> and he's kind of got, he's got that kind of easygoing... I don't know if, like, hippie voice, but he's got, like, this kind of 80s voice that's really laid back that I just love yeah. in this film. No, I see that, too. Um, Big Z's got a lot of great lines. The one that we always <laughs> the one that we always quote at our houses after Cody, like, busts his first co board, he goes, Hey, you guys like firewood? Yeah, sure. I got some wood here. <laughs> <laughs> Another great example of Jeff Bridges, like, fluctuations in his voice. When we watch this film, we always, like, cheer. Every time we watch this film, when he goes through the tube... And everybody's like, oh, whoa, what's going on? He turns around, he makes it through, and he, like, 
bows to the wave, you know? Um, <laughs> I love that. Right about the time I got my first longboard, uh, Dad got a longboard also. We called it the Big Z board. We tried to start longboarding and, like, turning around on our boards and, like, bowing behind us like Big Z. Nice. One of my favorites is the very beginning when Cody is explaining. He's like, yeah, when Big Z came up and he, he just came right toward me. And he gave me this one-of-a-kind Big Z necklace. As you see Big Z pulling it off of the arm of a guy who has 10 more next to them. Yeah. I love it. Big Z's like, yeah, just buy another one at, at Reggie's surf shop. Yeah. Um, one scene that's really great is um, the scene in the boneyard at the very end. As oh, I was yeah. watching it this last time, I was absolutely terrified in a way that I don't think, I don't get scared at movies. I don't, you know, scary movies don't scare me. But just him going through all those spiky rocks and literally wrong turn, he could hit and die. I don't know. I was, like, holding my face. I was really scared. Like, anyone who's ever been in the waves or water knows how frightening it is to get, like you mentioned, taken away by the waves and you have no control. I've seen a lot of surf movies where they like to emphasize someone slamming their head on a rock, (laughs) you know, because apparently it doesn't happen. That Yeah, no fun. I love the scene where everyone ditches Reggie, you know, after Big Z kind of reveals himself and and Cody, you know, he's got the wave and the contest is over. They all head over to Big Z's beach and they ditch Reggie. I like it because, you know, the sun is is at a, you know, at a perfect kind of half sunset and the lighting is super beautiful. Everyone's having fun. That last scene where Cody is in slow motion, he's finally getting tubed, you know, after all he's been through and he's experiencing it. Man, the water effects are just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Me and my dad will watch this film at the end. We're, at the end of that scene, we're just like, because oh. <laughs> you know? he loves it because he's a surfer, and I love it because I'm an animator. And it's just, gosh, just a really well animated scene. Now that is a father and son moment <laughs> when we're both like, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> What about Chicken Joe? I think he's like everyone's favorite. For sure. Well, and like we said, he's voiced by John Heater. He was the voice. He was Napoleon Dynamite in Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Started in a couple of inconsequential films since then, but everybody knows him from Napoleon Dynamite. Man, I love him. Like, dude, he's so laid back. He has some of the funniest lines. Yeah, my absolute favorite line that just made me laugh so hard was when everybody starts fighting around him, and he's just at the very beginning. He's just like. Hey, people, come on now. Smile on your brother. (laughs) I love it. Jake's like, keep your girlfriend out of this. (laughs) But that is actually a quote from a song. It's an old 60s song. But it's like, come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. It's like total hippie song. Only you would get that. I know, but that's why I was loving it so much. I was like, yes. They're throwing the oldies in there. It makes me happy. I mean, you get another movie, you get the oldies and Green Day in the same movie, and it's just fantastic. And the guys who sing the Hawaiian war chant at the end. (laughs) What more could you want? That's just bonus. (laughs) I think there's maybe four antagonists. Not one is the standout villain. They all kind of have their different degrees and play to the story. The first one's Tank Evans, who's the big, buff, awesome surfer. Oh, man. I'm number one, the Tank. <laughs> I freaking love Tank. He's such a great villain. Well, he's, like, so bad, and yet he's so pathetic, as we see later <laughs> on in the film. You kind of get to see a different dimension of his personality. Also, like, just a little like a little side note on the character designs. I think, like, the cool, like, feather like, color patterns on each surfer's, like, body are super cool. Yeah, I like, really Tank's like got, that. Yeah, Tank's got this, like, severe, like, you know, kind of shark tooth necklace kind of look, and then Cody's got his, you know, I think Big Z's got, like, some, 
some hibiscus flowers, you know, yeah, kind of like a Hawaiian shirt. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, man. I like Tank because he's got a really severe look. He's got like his, you know, his hair slicked back. And I just like all his lines. Okay, man, there's so many good quotes. I could go on and on about this movie. When they're interviewing him, and he's like, a role model. No, but I do consider myself someone that everyone should look up to. Kids should try to pretend that they're Tank. I mean, they should try. (laughs) Good luck, kids. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the next one is Reggie Belafonte. He's the sea otter who's kind of in charge of the tournament. He's in charge of sponsoring all the surfers. He's the voice of Hades in Hercules, and that is a voice you do not forget. No, not at all. You hear it and you think, whoa, is my hair out? (laughs) He's the little guy with the big hair. He wants to be in charge of everything and so self-promoting. It's amazing. Yeah, totally. And then you've got Glenn, Cody's brother. I like him. He kind of represents the alternative of Cody's like decision at the beginning of the film. You know, he, he goes to the competition, but he could have stayed at Shiverpool, you know, like everyone else kind of expects him to. You know, he could have stayed at Shiverpool and probably end up like Glenn. <laughs> yeah, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite characters, aside from all those others, was the scout, the little bird that kept walking oh, yeah, around. Kid. I loved him so much. Yeah, Mikey, he's cool. My favorite quote from him was, you know, I used to scout songbirds. Toucans for this musical review in Brazil. Now that is show business. (laughs) I love it. I know the poor guy. It's like he's been doing this job for like way too long. Yeah. Uh, One thing I think that stands out in this movie, which I love, are the songs. It's a wonderful modern soundtrack. I think there are a lot of movies that... They have songs, you know, that play key parts, or there's montages during a song, or I don't know. I feel like some movies are just sort of forced to have a soundtrack just because, so they can, you know, sell records. But this one, all the songs are perfect. Like, all the bands, you know, they have Green Day, they have 311, different really just chill bands that really add. Yeah. Man, I love it. It's such a cool soundtrack. I listen to it all the time. We downloaded it. And, yeah, it's fun, and it's positive, and it's chill, you know? Actually, my little sister, we, we love it so much. My little sister memorized the lyrics for the last song, the Hawaiian war chant. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, something I didn't know, at the very end, there's a scene after the credits. You know, I, I should know better than this. I need to stay for every single movie <laughs> yeah. just in case there's a scene at the end of the credits. Well, this one, there is one. The very last scene before the credits is Cody's brother and his mom, because they really didn't get to tie up those loose ends. And so I guess people were asking, well, what happened to them? So at the very end, after the credits, it's Cody's brother, and he's taking all the equipment down. He's throwing it out the window. He's saying, like, get out of here. The movie's over. They'd already animated the scene, and so they decided to keep it. So if you haven't seen it, wait till the end. Well, here is our favorite part of the show. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. (laughs) Hey, diddly (laughs) do. Let's give our final star rating. I'll go first on this one. Five stars, folks. Whoa. Five stars. I love this film. It's got beautiful animation, and the documentary style is fresh. It's hip. It's fresh. It's cool. And the characters are really memorable. So I give it five stars. It's one of my favorite animated films of all time. I'm going to give it a three and a half. I I really enjoyed it. I did. But it's not one that I would go back to all the time. So that's my three and a half. Okay, and I will stand in the middle of you two, and I will say four stars. 
this movie is as perfect as it can be. The animation is wonderful. The storytelling is pristine and it's captivating. I love the way that they use the documentary. So big, solid four stars for me. So next week, we are going to be doing a Pixar film, finally, because apparently we're not a real animation podcast unless we do Pixar. It just happened that way. I don't, it's not like I don't like Pixar. It's just there were other really good things that we wanted to do, and we're saving one of the best for last or for episode five. <laughs> episode five is not our last episode. No, 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 not at all. Hopefully not. We, we still have to beat George Hopefully. Lucas, so that's at least six. <laughs> and you count the Ewok movie, and you count the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> and, the cl- and the Clone Wars, yes. <laughs> so, we've we got a long ways to go. It's true. You're in it for the long run, folks. We're so happy to have you guys on the road with us. Thank you for joining us. We are the Rotoscopers. Make sure to check us out on the internet at therotoscopers.com. You can also check us out on Twitter and Facebook, and we're also on Tumblr. If you want us to read any of your thoughts, opinions, or comments about Pixar or any of our previous films or future films that you'd like us to cover, send us an email. You can send an email to therotoscopers at gmail.com. We'll read it in our mailbag segment, which... We will be adding as well. <laughs> if we ever get mail, we'll have a mailbag section. Yeah. So. <laughs> if you have any other general comments, suggestions, critiques, kind words, flatterings, you know, the good stuff, send us an email. We just might read it. <laughs> Thanks again, folks. We're going to see you soon. Till then, we're the Rotoscopers. This interview's over. I am your host, Morgan Burt. Allow me to introduce my wonderful, beautiful co-hosts, Chelsea Robson. Wait. Robson. Two lovely, beautiful co-hosts. Well, maybe I shouldn't say beautiful. <gasps> Live action body double, Chelsea Robson. Robson. No! <laughs> I'm all nervous now. I was fine before. <laughs> okay. Allow me to introduce my lovely co-hosts. First up, Chelsea Robson. No! Robson! <laughs> Five times in a row. <laughs> oh, I love it. When are we going to do our first Pixar film? Uh, what, what kind of animation podcast are we? I know. I'm oh, tired. <laughs> Me too. Seriously, man, it's been a long day. I wish I had like one of those time-turner things that Hermione has. Oh, that would help. Yeah, but then you would still be tired. You would just be extra tired. I don't know. Because you wouldn't get yeah. to sleep. No, yeah. Hmm. Maybe it brings back to your stamina level that you were. Well, see now, if that were the I'm sure case, a, I'm sure there's a website that ex- the fan website that like explains the, the <laughs> metaphysics, the, the quantum <laughs> physics of time turning. We're the hosts. We can say what we want. Okay, okay. Just don't want to sound like an idiot. <laughs> Absurdity, dude. It's awesome. Killer. Get him. Troll hunting. <laughs> Well, great. Do you know that Simpsons, for the first eight seasons, they got paid thirty thousand per episode. The voice actors. Oh. It was eventually bumped up to one twenty-five, and then again to two fifty, and now it's at four hundred thousand an episode. An episode. An Holy episode. Cow. And there's what twenty-two episodes a season. Yeah. Yikes! Mind blown. Mind blown. Like ten million. Yeah. It's like between eight and ten million a year. Oh my gosh, I need to get into voice acting. <laughs> no, I need oh to get into voice acting, which is not going to happen. 
So. Alright. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> it is up to me to rescue the performance. Gypsy, come. On to the theater. Hi, diddly dee. An actor's life for me. It's over. It's over. Cody's brother, not Reggie's brother. Oh, it's it's Reggie's brother. Cody's brother. Oh, he said <laughs> I'm having trouble with uh, they saying things we've, correctly. Today. We've got our blooper. All right. I guess I'll kick this part off. All right. Oh my gosh, so sorry. My stomach made the biggest growl ever. Talking, so we Why had, didn't we record it? I don't know if it's on, on noise. I didn't hear it. Okay, good. Y'all were just silent, and then you were just like, ah! Well, as usual. Okay, let's do our... Smile on your brother! I'm just kidding. Okay, perfect. We we also we actually have a blooper reel at the end of each episode. Oh really? Like some of them, like some of them are like, what were they smoking when they were recording this? Seriously. <laughs>